So if this were a regular episode of Out of All Doors, this is the portion where I'd be asking provocative questions, making provocative statements all about nature in order to stimulate you for what's to come. But we're not going to do that just for the special eclipse special. We're just going to wait until the big finish here. I'm Adam Durant, and you're listening to the special Out of All Doors Special Eclipse Special, which distinguishes itself from a regular Out of All Doors episode by being much shorter, coming out earlier, and only being about the eclipse. There's no battery, no visualization exercise, and God willing, no interference from the ghost that occasionally haunts our little podcast. And yes, I know that calling out the ghost usually means it's definitely going to interfere, as if declaring how much I don't want to hear from it is actually just a setup for it to deliver a punchline, but this is actually me sincerely saying I don't want it to butt in. Also, it should be noted that this special eclipse special is not intended to be a replacement for the regular August episode. That will still be coming out soon, probably on the final day of August. But anyway, this one is all about the impending solar eclipse, which is when the moon moves between the Earth and the sun, and that makes it hard to see the sun unless you get those special glasses that people have been selling that let you see through the moon as if you have x-ray vision. While wearing the glasses, you'll be able to keep looking at the sun while everyone around you who doesn't have the glasses will have their view of the sun obstructed by the moon. So in terms of looking at heavenly bodies, they'll have to look at the moon or nothing. Whereas you'll be able to put your glasses on and look through the moon at the sun or take your glasses off and look at the moon in front of the sun. Have I explained this properly? Has my explanation been thorough enough? I'd hate to be this far into the episode and have you listeners still not understand the purpose of those eclipse glasses. Look, people want to look at the sun, but during the eclipse, the moon will block our view of the sun, right? Imagine you're at the movie theater. You're there to see a movie called The Sun, and yes, the title is symbolic. Yes, the title means something. Now, before the movie begins, a person who is much taller than you sits down in the seat in front of you, completely obstructing your view of the screen. How are you going to see the movie called The Sun now? Well, you'd need a special pair of glasses that would allow you to see through a human head, right? And I'm not talking about 3D glasses. That isn't what those do. Of course, if you are seeing the movie called The Sun in 3D, then you'll need to wear both the glasses that allow you to see through the human head and the 3D glasses at the same time, which might be awkward. So anyway, in this analogy, the movie called The Sun represents the sun, and the person's head obscuring your view of the movie called The Sun represents the moon. In fact, the person whose head obscured your view of the movie called The Sun was Sun Myung Moon, the Korean leader of the Unification Church, who claimed to be a messiah or the messiah, I'm not really sure, his Wikipedia article is pretty confusing. Look, think back to when you were a toddler and your parents would go out on a date and leave you with a babysitter and you would freak out and shriek and throw many tantrums. Why did you react so poorly? Well, one theory is that you freaked out because your vision of your parents was obstructed by the walls of your house, the other structures between you and them, and depending on how far they went on their date, perhaps even the curvature of the earth. 
Now imagine that your babysitter could have given you a pair of glasses that would have rendered everything between you and your parents transparent so that you could have kept them in sight during the entirety of their date. You may have also had to pair those glasses with binoculars, maybe even a telescope. But wouldn't you have felt better? Wouldn't you have freaked out okay, less? so here comes the eclipse within the show, or more like the eclipse of the show. Do you understand that that's what this is? So it's almost like the other part, that thing I was doing where I was explaining what the glasses do. It's like that part was the sun, and now this part is the moon, moving across in front of it so you can't see slash hear the sun. We all understand that, right? This is what an eclipse would be like if it were audible. You'd be hearing one thing, and then another thing would sort of temporarily drown it out, and you'd hear that new thing instead for a while. I hope this is clear. Anyway, so the thing is that this eclipse doesn't have a lot of content. I can't talk about how the glasses make it so you can see through the moon to look at the sun, because that would be the audible equivalent of the sun being eclipsed by another sun, which is absurd. This has to be as different to what it's eclipsing as the moon is to the sun. But it should probably still be about the eclipse, since this is the special eclipse special. So why don't I tell you about how I remember that the last solar eclipse happened when I was in fifth grade, or some kind of eclipse. And there was this kid in my class named Jason whose older brother had taught him how to say a cuss word in German. I don't even remember what the word was, and I suspect that Jason wasn't saying it right anyway, but he got a lot of mileage out of it. Let's make up a German cuss word. Let's say the word was Zacht. Remember that, Zacht. And if that does happen to be an actual German cuss word, that's totally coincidental. So on the day of the eclipse, we had made one of those things in a shoebox where you can't actually look at the eclipse, but you can see the shadow of it, which I recall being disappointed by. Also, we only had one of them in the whole class, so we had to take turns looking at it. We'd go over to the window where it was set up, and our teacher, Mrs. Allen, would show it to us. We must have been going in alphabetical order because Jason's last name started with a C, and I was right after him. So I was standing there waiting for my turn to look at the eclipse shadow in the box while Jason took his turn. And then, when Mrs. Allen said that he had taken enough time and it was my turn to look, Jason shouted, Zacht, that's cool, and returned to his seat. Mrs. Allen did not react. He got away with it. I have to hand it to Jason, he got away with it. He shouted a German swear word in front of a teacher and suffered no consequences. And this was in elementary school. Did it sound forced and extremely unnatural? Yes. But did he get in trouble? No. So I looked at the box, and I saw the shadow of the moon moving between us and the sun, and I returned to my seat without shouting a German cuss word or anything. So that's my last eclipse memory. And whoops, seems like the moon of this audio eclipse is going away now. Here comes the sun again. I wonder if it's still about the eclipse glasses or if it's moved past that now. Or maybe it's still bogged down in digressions related on a pair of glasses that would make your own body transparent so you could gaze down at your own stomach and say with total confidence, yes, that's what the meal I just ate would look like after having chewed it the exact amount that I just felt myself chew it. And there it is within my stomach. Therefore, I feel certain that the food I felt in my mouth as I chewed it and in my esophagus as I swallowed it is the same food that I now see in my stomach. Well, that's what these eclipse glasses do. They help to assure you that the sun that is behind the moon is the same sun that you're used to looking at every day. Look, I could give you analogies that explain the purpose of the eclipse glasses to you all day, but I'm not going to. And the main reason is that I actually couldn't give you analogies that explain the purpose of the eclipse glasses to you all day, and even if I could, I wouldn't want to. Instead, before we see what else we have in store for you on this special-sized special eclipse special, 
And I should again note that special sized in this case means much smaller. Then let's pivot to a short list of eclipse tips or e-tips. And yes, there's an e on the end of e-tips. The entirety of the word tips is sandwiched between the e that begins the word eclipse and the e that concludes the word eclipse. In short, where once there was lips, now there is tips. Number one, don't try to show off by predicting the eclipse minutes before it happens. Everyone already knows about it. Number two, don't have someone take a picture of you wherein you utilize forced perspective to make it look like you're about to eat the eclipse and then caption that picture, Eclipse? I thought everyone was saying eclair. Number three, keep two fingers hooked in your belt loops at all times while you're looking at the eclipse. I don't know what it is about eclipses, but they bring the pantsers out in droves. Number four, write your name on your wrist before you look at the eclipse, just in case it wipes out your memory. In parentheses after your name, write, this is your name, and then add your initials next to that part. This is so that you won't think that you just had someone else autograph your wrist. Number five, don't smoke during the eclipse or at all. But if you have to choose between only smoking during the eclipse and only smoking during times when it's not the eclipse, then I guess you should smoke during the eclipse. Number six, for heaven's sake, don't use the eclipse as an excuse to rip the scabs off of old emotional wounds in your family. While it may be true that you were grievously wronged during the last eclipse, must all that drama be relitigated every time there's a new eclipse? Number seven, don't mistake a plane flying overhead for the sun. I'd like to assure you that that's a common mistake, but it isn't. Not at all. If you must mistake a plane flying overhead for one of the key players in the eclipse, at least mistake it for the moon. Number eight, do not be too hasty to declare the eclipse total. It is a well-known fact that those who prematurely declare an eclipse to be total are often abusers of animals. Is that a stigma you want to live with? I hope not. Number nine, do not yell encore after the eclipse is over, even as a joke. Do not pass between your family and the eclipse and say, look, I'm eclipsing the eclipse. Number 10, do not keep sniffing the air and saying, is that coming from the eclipse? You know it isn't. If you have a problem with how someone near you at the eclipse smells, then either confront them or move. Don't be passive-aggressive about it. All right. Well, here's some more eclipse content from Cousin Ben and Dwayne, who are not good, of course, but also I don't have any specific new problem with them right now, because why would I? Things between us are exactly the same as they've been for the last few months. And then there's some eclipse content from Matt, which I will be reading. Hello, I'm uh, Dwayne Leesman, and welcome to Regarding the Dawn. I'm Ben, cousin Ben, to many of our friends. And this is a segment on the podcast where we normally talk about outdoor photography. So we're coming to you from the soon-to-not-be-very-sunny Beatrice, Nebraska, home of the late Great Weldon Keys, mm. the Sunrise Bakery, which is the best donuts in the state, and the uh, Homestead National Monument, yeah, yeah. which is the um, location of the first homestead that was registered for the Homestead Act in the United States. So, uh, all of you new visitors to Beatrice coming through to uh, see the eclipse at the Homestead National Monument or somewhere nearby, um, we're just going to give you some basic photography tips to maybe help you out while you're taking pictures of the eclipse and seeing our fair city. 
Uh, so. Rule number one, and this is a very important rule. Um, when you are taking photographs of the eclipse, make sure you have a filter on your camera. Um, or, what? I mean, on your lens specifically, because if you point the camera too long at the sun, it's going to just fry your sensor. It's... No, look, that's a myth, okay? What? The last no, time... No, 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 no. It, it, Yeah, not... it is. It's not, it's not, you don't have to have it. It's just a way to sell more camera parts or whatever, filters and, and stuff. I actually think it's been proven that if you point your camera too long at the sun... That it... when, all right, when was the last time that there was an eclipse here? It was like, how, how many years uh, ago? 70s? 70s? Yeah, yeah, something like that. So... I mean, it worked fine then. Like, people didn't fry their sensors back then. We didn't have to worry about the filters. So why was it? I mean, they didn't have digital photography back then. Oh, split hairs. I mean, it's the same. Like, the film works the same as a sensor. Like, you would, like, fry your film or whatever. It's just not that big a deal. People are being, you know, disingenuous. But they're just trying to get some more money out of you. It's not that important. You really think so? I really think so. People can just do whatever they want with their cameras and their eyeballs. I don't care. I mean... So, I just assumed that, you know, um, people that were professional photographers that wrote about this actually knew what they were talking about. Well, I'm a professional photographer, and I mean, don't do, I know do what you I'm do talking about? you a lot about? of uh, astrophotography? Well, no, but I mean, I could. I've got a camera. That's really all you need. You certainly don't need these filters or any of this nonsense. Good luck with that. Um, I, I will be putting a filter on my camera. Um... Yeah. Actually, you know what? Taking pictures of the eclipse is pretty lame. I'm not going to be doing that. that not going to do that at all? No. I, boring. I mean, how many pictures are going to be of the sun? Oh, millions. Yeah. I mean, how is my picture going to be any more unique than somebody else's? Well, if you don't have a filter on your camera, it'll be very unique because everyone else in the country fell victim to that. You know, you might have a point there. You, they, you could just totally fry your sensor, but oh. you're doing that in the name of art, so... I mean, if it really happens, if you really do fry your sensor in your camera, think of how cool those pictures will look just before they get fried. We've been regarding the dawn. Yep, and uh, this has been Cousin Ben and Dwayne Leesman, and uh, have a good eclipse. Yes. a little eclipse music for you. The sun is gonna cease to exist. The sun is gonna cease to exist. It's gonna be blotted out of the sky. I can't read the words. Uh. You and I are both gonna die. Light is gonna cease to exist. The light is gonna cease to exist for around ten minutes. Everyone needs to panic. Oh yeah, cause the sun is gonna cease to exist. The sun is gonna cease to exist. It's gonna be blotted out of the sky You and I are both gonna die These are the five people you meet at a solar eclipse as observed and written by Matt Martin. Number one are the lunar eclipse enthusiasts. 
Each and every time a solar eclipse occurs, the first group of people you'll see gathering en masse to witness it are the lunar eclipse enthusiasts, who show up in their finery, wearing their waist frocks and their worsted tweed, swirling fine wines, their noses going ever higher. They speak too loudly so as to be eavesdropped by the solar eclipse enthusiasts as they badmouth and poo-poo the advent of a mere daytime eclipse, calling those who gather to witness the spectacle worse than dullards and astronomical deviants who should be ignored at all costs. These dandified stuffed shirts, derisively known as lunar loons, are unwelcome and asked not to return, but insist on attending each solar eclipse so as to, as they say, give voice to the voiceless. At the moment of the eclipse, they raise their hands as one and give the event a collective thumbs down, insufferable. Number two is the foiled sun tanner. Each year, as if on cue, there appears a familiar sight indeed. A harried, haggard, hair-guard businessman, having finally been able to find time in his extremely busy schedule for an afternoon, even just a blessed afternoon, please, to relax, sit in the sun, and let the cares and worries of his job melt away as he lays in the sun, gets tan, and enjoys this little vacation to himself. He's brought his entire beach kit, and he hobbles out onto the beach with it, almost giggling at the prospect of not having to work for a few hours. And as soon as he settles into his beach chair, applies a layer of sunscreen, removes his shirt, dons his sunglasses, cues up his favorite audiobook, and lies back, the sun is blotted from the sky, showing that even in this ambition, his lowly human self is foiled by forces far beyond his control. Crestfallen, nay, despondent, the businessman sits up, shuts off his audiobook, takes his sunglasses off, puts his shirt back on, wipes the useless sunscreen off his body, folds up his beach chair, gathers all of his things, and mopes back to his car. As he drives away, the sun reappears, warm and beautiful, a cloudless summer day. Number three is the robot barber. Francis Eberhard is a tireless inventor whose prolific output is matched only by its failure. The inventor has built many, many devices over the course of his destitute career, none of them selling enough units to justify their expenditure, nor to pay Eberharding a living wage. Tirelessly he tinkers on, though, convinced that one of his inventions will catch fire. Whenever there's a solar eclipse, Eberhardingshire brings out his Eclipse Barber Boy Robo Barbering Auto Man, or Clipsy for short. Eber Hardingshireham sets up Clipsy under a large parasol, offering discount Eclipse haircuts to those watching the eclipse. So far, few have wanted to subject themselves or their children to the fidgety erratic robot, who cuts without apparent control, and whose only true function is being able to feel the sting of rejection as eclipse-goer one after the next rejects his increasingly discounted haircuts. Eberharding Shireimshire too seems dejected. Another of his life's works ignored, ignored, ignored. Number four is the conman optometrist. This sly eye doctor, a loathsome opportunist, appears at every eclipse event to peddle what he calls his extra special eclipse level sunglasses that afford the wearers the ability to safely stare at the sun as the moon glides in front of it. But these sunglasses are little more than theater eyeglasses dipped in beet juice, and they afford zero protection. He sells these glasses for $500 a piece. After buyers come back from the eclipse with burned-out corneas, the conman optometrist offers them very pricey restorative eye surgery with a markup in price for it being an emergency service. 
The con man optometrist avoids criminal prosecution by wearing a fake beard when selling the useless eyeglasses, then removing that beard while he performs the eye surgery. Number five is Sun Thing. The Sun Thing is a cartoon sun mascot that moves about the proceedings, greeting children, handing out sun stickers, and emitting a shrill whine. Who is inside the Sun Thing is unknown, and how it moves is also a mystery, as the Sun Thing has four arms and only one leg. If a human is in fact inside the Sun Thing, where is the other leg? And how do you explain the very realistic lifelike movements of the two dead arms? Or which arms are the dead arms? What's emitting the shrill whine? How come it never stops? Why is this monstrosity so impervious to our bullets and knives? And why does it seem to be able to eat space-time itself as the eclipse approaches its zenith, to the point where the viewers no longer exist?